Welcome to Digital First Leadership, the podcast that focuses on helping leaders and teams understand how to master the language of social media in today's digital first world. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. I'm your host, Richard Bliss, and you're listening to The Digital Executive, the podcast that focuses on leadership in the digital age. And today I'm joined by Scott Pfeiffer, the principal at Strategic Business Consulting. Scott, thanks for joining me. Richard, it's always good to be with you. It is. We've known each other a very long time. We've done a, a lot of talking together over the time, uh, over that time. And I appreciate you coming on because we're going to talk today about a wide variety of topics when it comes to this transition as a professional into the virtual business world. Because that's something that you've been doing, correct? It's a big topic right now, you know, with everybody home with COVID. And I think it was already trending before. Certainly in my work, it was already trending before. Uh, this has just accelerated it and everyone's having to find ways to get things done online. You know, let's talk about that because in your, uh, you've got several things. One is your consulting business that focuses on helping companies make these strategic decisions. But two, you've been involved with a series of, that I actually have participated in, these series, these um, networking events, right? T- tell me and, and the audience a little bit about these networking events that we're talking about. Yeah, so Phil Yanoff uh, and with my help runs a networking event called Tech After Five. And we've been doing it. In fact, this month, in the middle of the month, we're ho- we're having event number 600. Holy cow. And, th- and just so people know, we're recording this at the beginning of November 2020, for those of you who are listening, right? So, so- middle of November 2020, we'll have event number 600. And... From their beginning back, gosh, I guess the 90s, up until COVID, these were live, face-to-face, monthly networking events in several different cities. Um, So every once a month in every city, we would have a live event, and it would be after five, of course, on a weeknight, and tech people would come, and they would, uh, it was free for them to attend. They'd get a token for a beer and Phil does a great job of curating the room to make sure that it's, you know, most tech events or most networking events are terrible because it's all. um, I call it sharks and guppies. Yeah. It's lawyers, financial planners and insurance agents all looking for clients and no clients. (laughs) Right. All sharks, no guppies, no guppies. This is mostly tech people. He does a good job of curating the room. It's harder for non-tech people, harder for those support people to get in. They have to pay to get in. He limits the number that can come and because he mostly wants tech people in the room and that's what he gets. It's a great event. Um, So it was face-to-face in every city once a month forever and then COVID hit and we have had to transition to online events. And so we're still doing one every month for every city, but they're online. Now that's interesting because most people would say, well, you're going to lose so much of the power of what that networking event was about because I mean, let's face it, there were online events before and now everything's virtual online. So what kind of transition did you make to make sure it kept kept working? That's, I guess that's what that question I'm having is like, all right, yeah, we're going to go online, but zoom fatigue is going to kick in and what are we going to do? Yeah, we did a lot of talking about how to make it, how to keep the sort of dynamics the same or or at least similar. Um, 
one thing we did at, at the at the actual face-to-face event, there's no program. It's just you come, you mingle, you talk. There's a little spiel at the end, and that's it. We decided for the online event, we were actually going to have a little, a very short kind of theme or thing to talk about. So we introduced that. But mostly, we wanted the experience. We felt like in the big room, what you did was you kind of went from small group to small group. You might meet a couple of people in line as you're coming in to check in. You might meet a few people at the bars. You go get your beer. You might meet a few people in the room over here and talk about some other topics. So we wanted to recreate that. And Zoom has this feature for breakout rooms. Right. And so when everybody shows up, uh, they go in a waiting room and he'll throw everybody into breakout rooms of four to five people so that like, you know, you're talking with people as you're in line. And then when he gets in, he'll do the introductions, kind of the rules of the road, uh, what we're here to accomplish. And then he might give everybody a question of the day and he'll send everybody into breakout rooms for 10 minutes to talk about whatever that was. So what you're saying is that even before they get into the session, you guys have sent them to a breakout room. So they're just spending some time with two or three people that maybe they don't know. Yeah. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we just create one breakout room that everybody goes into as they're waiting in sort of the waiting room. Um, And so they'll be talking amongst themselves while they're in the waiting room. We'll bring them in introduction. Here are the rules. Glad you're here. Here's kind of a question or a topic of the day to talk about. Boom. Everybody goes to a, so we get them into a breakout room really fast to simulate that. I just got here and I'm sort of meeting people. It might just be, we're going to throw you in a breakout room. The youngest person is in charge. Introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do and why you're at tech after five, bam. And everybody goes and the computer randomly assigns you boom and boom, you're in a room with, and usually what he does is he keeps the room smaller at the beginning. Like you might have three to four. And as we go through the night, the rooms get bigger. By the end of the night, it might be five or six in a room. Got it. You've got 10 minutes. And then there might be a presentation. You might have a speaker come in. He might talk about something about LinkedIn or uh, right. getting and a speaking job, of LinkedIn, Because that's what I participated in. You, uh, yeah. you and, and Phil had me come and present. Come. I, I, I yeah. act like I physically came, although I have physically been on the show before with you your podcast, but I came and did a presentation and people went out to breakout rooms and everything. So that was slightly different though, wasn't it? It was, that was sort of the early iterations where we were experimenting. We were having the online networking event and we were having sort of a new thing, which we were doing with content. We've since sort of merged those two things together and just added the content to the networking event. So you were one of the first uh, in our, you know, we were trying to figure out how to do these things. Right. And I can remember, and it was extremely successful. It, it, actually, Scott, I don't think I've ever told you, it led to business for me as well. Uh, people reached out to me, uh, consulting practice, that type of things, asking if I could help their companies become more effective at using social media from a social selling standpoint, that type of thing. So and that's was, true, right? And one thing we have found with this going online is we've kept a core of people from each city. They, they still come to their city every month like they used to. One of the things we preach about networking is that it's not a oh, I need a job. Let me go to an event, get a job and never go back. It's a repetitive process of going and meeting people and building relationships. And so it's something you engage in over time with repetitive presence, kind of like you talk about with your online thing. We talk about from the networking point of view. So we've got the core of like, say, Greenville, the core of the Greenville people, they'll go. We've always had some people who occasionally will go to other cities, but now we're finding every month there's 
a lot more cross pollinization. People from Little Rock will come to the Greenville one. People from Charlotte will go to the Charleston one. So there's a lot more of that because it's so much easier. Right. Uh, and we're picking up new people who were like, you know, gosh, getting like in Charlotte, people will say, well, getting all the way across town to where your physical event was by 530 on a, on a Wednesday was hard. But digitally getting there by 530. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> Commute has been cut down so much, right? We'll have like in Greenville the other uh, month, we had a guy who lives in New York who's moving to Greenville in a few months and he's attending. He's like, I couldn't have right. done this until I got there before. Right. But now I can go ahead and start attending in Greenville months before I move and start, you know, building my network in advance. So I think even after this month with our 600th event, we're going to have a, a joint city, every, all everybody in celebration of the number 600. I think post COVID, if we go back to live events, we'll probably at the very minimum maintain a once a month, every city virtual event anyway. You know, because it's, it's interesting because so we technic technically could have done this before COVID. But the challenge was, is that it, it was kind of like who was going to be first. And it was once everybody went over. Now we all have microphones and cameras and, and spaces. Right. And we're just, it's like, okay, I can yeah. just do. Uh, you know, the, the hurdles we would have uh, been through before, our people were unfamiliar with it. They were scared of it because they hadn't done it. They didn't have the training or know how. It was intimidating. Right. Well, all of those things somebody else did for us. Somebody else taught and you know, made them do it. They're familiar with it now. Made them figure it out. Taught them how to do it. You right. know, all those barriers to entry disappeared for us through other people's actions. And early on, we really had the benefit of um, people were having to do this for their work, but they could come to Tech After Five and in a low stakes environment, work out the kinks and ask questions. They could. And, and it has really dramatically changed it. And so when you talk about us going back to normal, you know, I live in Silicon Valley. I'm in California. Uh, you're in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. It, uh, here, everybody's being told, look, you're not coming back to the office, right? Whether you're at Twitter, Facebook, NetApp, whatever company you're at, you're not coming back to the office. Get used to being home. Now, it's right. made traffic wonderful here. Um, <laughs> but it also is changing the way that we're thinking about all right, one, where do I live, right? I don't have right. to live in high expensive Silicon Valley. I can live somewhere else. Right. It's, it's, I, I got to admit, it's probably going to have an impact on salaries though. I got to believe that's coming. It's like, yeah. oh, you live in uh, Topeka, Kansas. All right, well, we're not paying you $180,000 to come in and be a content uh, manager because yeah. that's what we have to pay. We're going to pay something dramatically less because of the cost of living. We're going to probably start to see some of these salaries, crazy, insane tech salaries start to be adjusted for uh, where you live, right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, maybe property values get affected in the long run. I don't know. Um, well, rent, rent in San Francisco is down. Rent prices are down 30% in San Francisco over the last few months because people are moving. Yeah. Let's talk about though about um, this idea because if somebody wants to go about doing what you've just talked about, hey, I want to create a virtual environment, a virtual network. Um, yeah. What are some of the things? Because you're doing a few other things as well. Because you've got the podcast that you're doing that's been going for a while. Right. Uh, I've we, been on. Uh, I've been on that. Yeah, we've had the podcast for a while now. We're over. I don't know how many episodes we have. I think it's over a hundred. 
And then um, you've got uh, the, and that's you again, you and Phil both doing that. Yeah, that's uh, the on- Tech After Five podcast. And we, uh, it's evolved from us sitting beside each other holding microphones. Right. And if we had a guest, the guest was there and we, you know, we held the microphones. That's how it was for the first several years. Now that also has had to uh, change. And so we're now doing it over Zoom. And because we were doing it over Zoom, we started saying, hey, why not create a YouTube channel and we'll record them. And so the podcast is now available both as recording on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever. It's also available as a video on YouTube. So you can go to YouTube and actually watch us record the podcast. And Lately, we've taken another step and we're actually Facebook live streaming while we record the podcast that's going to be on YouTube and on Stitcher. So we're doing all that. So okay, tell I, me. we were on Facebook live this morning. Okay. I, why? Why are you on Facebook live? I mean, what's what's with the live event? Do people tune in to watch these? Because li- there's LinkedIn live now, Facebook live. I got to admit, it's not something I've quite figured out. You know, for us, we're tech guys and we always like to try out the new stuff just to try it out. So I think part of it is that I want to figure it. We want to figure it out. Right. How can we tell other people about it if we haven't done it? Right. Right. What are the benefits? I don't know. One benefit we think as we get an audience, maybe for these live events or figure out how to get people into an audience for a live event, it'll allow people to ask us questions in real time. So I think that's what we're building toward is we're sort of figuring out the tool and the, and the do's and the don'ts and the, and the best practices so that we can build towards uh, in a, a podcast event where we actually have audience members in real time asking questions of us or whoever our guest is. Right. So we might have, you know, a Don Robertson back on We had Don Robertson wrote uh, how to think like a Roman emperor. He's a modern day stoic philosopher. He's a great guy. We've had him on the podcast. We've had him at our mastermind. Um, so, you know, we might. No, let's, let's, because I, I don't want to go too long, but the mastermind, that's something that you've brought up in the past. So yeah. tell, tell the audience a little bit, what's this mastermind thing? Yeah. So a mastermind is a, I can't remember who uh, coined the phrase, but it's essentially a meeting, a group that gets together. There's usually a leader um, and they form over a topic or a shared experience or a shared desire. So you might, right now we have a mastermind that is uh, solo practitioners who are interested in building a tribe and, and moving their their business forward, their solo practice business forward. We're creating a new mastermind right now that's going to be tech entrepreneurs of companies that are five million and up who are growing their business and trying to figure out how to scale and professionalize. So the the mastermind group, everybody in the group is sort of that similar, has that similar interest or that similar problem. And you come together and you share with each other your experiences and you ask the group questions and you know you so it's a it's part just having somebody to talk to who has similar interests you know I mean if you're an entrepreneur of a company you there may be things you don't want to talk to your employees about because you don't want you know you don't want to say oh I'm scared we're going to lose our biggest customer and your employees are all freaking out looking for jobs right so there may be stuff, stuff you can't share with an employee there might be stuff you could talk to your spouse about it but maybe they don't have any 
you know, they can there, there and sympathize and that's all important, but they don't have any, they can't say, oh yeah, that happened at my business and here's how I fixed it. Right. Right. I've had that problem too. Let me tell you what I did. Right. So it fills this niche of having a group you can talk to. There are rules about confidentiality and uh, giving each other, you know, respect and consideration and not being mean and stuff like that. So there are ground rules everybody agrees to. And then you come together on a regular basis. You you check in, you maybe set goals and have other people uh, call you to account. Did you meet your goal? You bring problems to the group and they ask questions and try to help you figure out an answer to your problem. Um, so that's that's kind of what a mastermind interesting, is. Interesting, interesting. So that's, uh, and then it's interesting way that, uh, that you're going about it. These have been great. Uh, how to build that online community right? How to take a networking event and move it online. Uh, great insights, the podcast, all of that type of thing. So I certainly appreciate you joining to talk about some of this expertise. Any questions that as you come on and you think about, is there anything I could provide any insights to that you guys are doing? Well, you know, I think one of the things taking this mastermind online allows us to do is go find people in other cities to participate, right? It would be difficult if we're going to build a mastermind of owners of tech companies over $5 million. There's not that many of them in Greenville that could come to an in-person mastermind. So we're going to have to find people in different cities. We're going to reach out through our tech after five network, but this is something I think you might have some insight into. If I was building, whether it's my mastermind or something else, you're trying to build a tribe across the digital spectrum, as opposed to locally, how would you go about that? What tools would you use to reach out into the, into the um, online community and try and build a tribe to, to come to an event, whether you're going to do host a conference or do a mastermind or whatever. Uh, two come to mind. Well, we won't even get into one obvious one is Facebook, uh, but I'm not even going to talk about Facebook uh, because that's not my expertise, but I know that Facebook groups, Facebook itself, Facebook uh, affinities, all of that. Facebook is a great place to go. And what's interesting is I work a lot in the business in the LinkedIn, as you know. And when I talk to LinkedIn people, they're like, oh, nobody's on Facebook. And when I talk to Facebook people, they're like, oh, nobody's on LinkedIn. And, <laughs> and one of the ironies is, is that there's a gentleman by the name of Andy Foote who has a, who's very well known in the LinkedIn community on LinkedIn. His LinkedIn group is on Facebook. <laughs> because the Facebook groups are so much more powerful for usage and that type of thing. So that is one, That's but true. there's, there's two, two main things I would look at. One is that there's a tool out there called spark Toro S P A R K T O R O spark Toro. And what it allows you to do now, it usually costs money, but not a whole lot of money, but you can plug in a topic and it will tell you throughout the digital realm where people are talking about that particular subject. Who are the influencers? On which platforms? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Where are they talking? Who are they talking? What are people following? Who has the most influence? It would give you a good landscape of the space itself. Uh, For example, in my book, uh, Digital Leadership, it's a way for me to use it to say who out there is influential in the social selling and digital leadership space that I should actually be connecting to and, and engaging with. The right. second tool is a LinkedIn tool, and that is Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator, again, costs money, but it allows you to plug in criteria that says, for example, I want to know CEOs or founders of companies 
of $5 million or more in this particular industry with this number of headcount in this particular department. Wow. Uh, for example, I use it, my team uses it because I train salespeople and executives on how to use social media to have an online presence. So what I do is my team goes and looks for, and we mainly deal with tech companies. So we plug in, I want to see tech companies with a minimum of 100 salespeople who, uh, and then I'm looking for the people who have the term sales enablement in their headline or something associated with their job. And I want it in Northern California only. Boom, I hit it, pulls up a list of every single person. Now, what's nice is that this is not a database that somehow somebody else is curating. This is LinkedIn where the people themselves have said, I am, I do sales enablement training. Well, yeah, I want to talk to you because I will help you train your salespeople on how to be more effective online. And so this is what allows my team to quickly find people from a selling standpoint. But I think it would be a way for you to find key individuals and then you can reach out to them and invite them to say, would you like to be part of this? So those would be two tools. So Spark Toro to find the influencers and Sales Navigator to drill down into finding individuals that you can actually go after. That's great advice. I think we're going to try out that sales navigator. You know, one thing I've got, uh, one of my consulting clients is launching a new product. Uh, It's going to be a, it's a phone number, vanity number product. And we have been, you know, it has a name that we've been kicking around. It's sort of been its working name the whole time. But uh, because Claire told me about this tool that you guys found, um, uh, this pick name, pick pick foo, yeah, so, it's p i c k f u. Yeah, so I told him about that, and I think he's going to use that to do some testing on his name for his new venture. So that's and, another. And as a throw out and a, and a shout out to pick foo because I use them for my book title, and you and I were talking about this. Is I was shocked, unconscious bias had crept in, and this pick foo showed me very clearly how my unconscious bias. I had picked a book title that I really liked for my book. And yet when I did the pick foo, um, a member of my team, Claire, who happens to be your daughter, uh, <laughs> we had to pick an alternative one. So we threw an alternative one out there. And then what you do is you put it in front of this audience that will then tell you which one they like and why they liked it. And they, they have already matched criteria that pick foo has, has, has set up. And it came back that men didn't care what my book title was between the two t- topics, but women cared significantly and people over 45 cared significantly. So if you were a male over the age of 45, you probably liked my title and I happen Sorry. to be a male over the 45, <laughs> but if you were under 45 and you were a woman, three out of four respondents preferred the alternative title, which shocked me. It made me realize that here I thought I had my perfect title and it resonated with me. And I'd asked all my buddies, hey, what do you think? And they were like, yeah, that's great. I forget, I forgot to ask a significant number of women as well. And this PICFU was able to show me that my unconscious bias of having older males rather than a younger, um, diverse audience which made me change the name of my book before I even published it. So it's been a, a fantastic tool to be able to do that. So we're going to give a quick yeah. shout out to PickFu. So I'm glad you yeah, guys are going to be awesome. able to. So I, I heard that story and then I told Brett, hey, 
for this new project you're you're looking at. I know you love the name, but you need to talk to Claire about how to do this pick food thing. And he loves the idea. You talk to Claire about it. She clued him in. And I think they're going to do it. It'll be interesting to see what the result is. It will be interesting. And by the way, they reached out to me. The founders of PickFu reached out to me and they wanted to talk to me about, hey, how do you do that social media stuff? Not social media, but LinkedIn. How do we do that LinkedIn thing? And I guess they they asked the right guy. Well, they did. But one of the things, Scott, that I shared with them, and, and I know we're wrapping up here, but you and I have a, it's not so secret passion that we both share. And that is board games. Yes. And so I asked these guys about their audience and their target audience was authors, video game developers, and something else I can't remember. And I said, look, you need to find an audience that has money and has a whole bunch of decision points to be made along the creation of their their process creation. Where, and and for those of our audience who aren't who aren't aware of that, if you go out to Kickstarter, there's approximately 500 new board game projects on Kickstarter every 30 month, 30 days, right? Hundreds of millions of dollars a year are being invested in board games, and everybody's like, "What?" So those, but those who know, it's it's the biggest category, right? It's the biggest, the biggest. It outfunds all of the other categories. Yeah. But how many decision points do you have? in the creation of a board game where it depends on your, you need feedback from the audience. Can you, how, how many can you think of? Oh, a bunch. Artwork, colors, fonts, logo, title, box size, components, wood, plastic, cardboard, yeah. cards, art cards, font, design. I mean, it never stops every decision point. And, and suddenly- well, and With a Kickstarter, you, you've got, you know, stretch goals. What, yeah, stretch, goals what stretch goals should I put out there? And all of a sudden you have this built-in. So I told they they need to go check it out. They were completely unaware of the power. <laughs> so it was, it was beneficial for both of us. Scott, thank yeah. you so much for being on the show with me today and, and for having this conversation. It's always great to talk to you. You brought some incredible insights about how to move a physical present thing to an online digital world. And I think a lot of people might find that useful. So thank you for that. All right. Thanks, Richard. It's always good to talk to you. It is always good. Take care and thank you for listening. And uh, we appreciate you uh, tuning in. You've been listening to Scott Pfeiffer, who's uh, the principal at Strategic Business Consulting. And we've been talking about the online digital world for moving your events and activities there. And so I appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Take care. You've been listening to Digital First Leadership, the podcast where you learn to leverage and build your expertise on digital platforms. For more valuable tips on mastering the language of social media, subscribe to our newsletter at blisspointconsult.com. If you'd like to stay in touch, feel free to add Richard on LinkedIn and join the conversation.